You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com and I will answer as many as I can. And we are closing in on Passover. We're getting close. We are excited. We are preparing. And in class, I was telling somebody yesterday, um, I teach third grade boys, we've said before, so I have to prep them all about what's going to happen that first night of Passover by the Seder. Um, they have a whole booklet. I'll give them things to talk about, points to ponder. I don't call it that, but that is really what my goal is. Teach them some of the songs. We go through a lot of stuff. Now, it happens to be when I created my booklet, I don't know, 23-ish. I mean, the original was 25 years ago, but I've redone it a couple times. 20 years ago, it's, it's really good. It's a nice booklet. But when I set up my booklet, all the boys in my class had the customs, which are called Ashkenaz, or really European customs. The Middle Eastern customs, the Svard or Svardi customs, North Africa, Morocco, Syria, Iran, Iraq. All those customs I really didn't incorporate because I really never had any children in my class with those backgrounds. Um, as the Jewish people, the Jewish nation keeps increasing and people move and people travel, and perhaps those Svaradim are no longer embarrassed to have their customs and they have children and their children. So now I do have, over the last couple of years, I've had those children in my class. I know basic customs from, because I ask around, that interests me. I like to know what other people do because by the Seder, part of the whole beauty of the Seder, of what happens that first night of Passover when we talk, when we talk about when we left Egypt, part of the beauty of that is, um, is that you do what your father did, he did what his father did, what his father did, grandparents. We remember almost anybody you meet, if they're older, even if they don't really run a full Seder like I would, but they remember what their grandparents did. And that's the beauty. The whole idea is a father tells his son. So there's different customs, and those customs get passed down. So that's beautiful because then that's what we call Mesora, right? We pass down from generation to generation, and that's exactly what's supposed to happen. So I have a boy. It happens to be a little bit weaker. So if I have something that I can talk to him about, to make him feel special, I take advantage. So I happen to know that there's a custom where at some point they either take a matzah or I think a piece of celery or the actual Seder plate and they, they, they hold it over each person's head and I knew they said something. I wasn't sure what they said. 
So I, I, I spoke to the boy a couple of times, and I said, you know, why don't you ask your father? Maybe he could send me um, into class. So he actually sent it to me, and, um, and we're going to talk about it because it's really beautiful. It doesn't mean I'm going to start doing it. It's not my custom. But it's allowed to be beautiful, and I'm not going to do it because it's not my custom. But if it is your custom, it's beautiful. So that was like this. They start out in Hebrew. And they say, Bivhilu Yatsanu Mimitsrayim. I have friends who also say they knew they say Baba Ha something, but they didn't know what it was. Actually a Hebrew word. Which means that um, in in a like hurriedness, not confusion, but very quickly we left Egypt. Now here's the problem, because I don't speak Arabic. But if you speak Arabic, it goes something like this Minwenjaya, which is supposed to mean where are you coming from? We're going to talk about the questions because I think the questions are are not only timely, but they're they're what we live by. So you say, "Where are you coming from?" in Arabic, and they answer back, "We're coming from Egypt. We're coming from Israel." <clears throat> Great. Then they say, If I'm pronouncing it properly, probably I'm not. I'm sure someone will tell me. But that means, "Where are you going?" So the first question is, "Where are you coming from?" And you say, "Egypt." Where are you going? And they answer to Jerusalem, right? So. Obviously, we're sitting at our tables wherever we are. Um, but the idea is that the night of the Seder, that first night of Passover and the second night of Passover, we are reenacting. We are acting as if we were freed from Egypt that night. So, therefore, a conversation could be had to make it more real. When you have a conversation, when you tell a story, just read somewhere. That when you tell a story and you tell people to think about the garden and that beautiful red rose and the softness of the petals and the beautiful smell, it does something to part of our brain and our brain starts to feel it. That's what stories do to us. So we ask you, where are you coming from? Coming from Egypt. Where are you going? Going to Jerusalem. And the last question, I can't pronounce this word, is Zawarak, right? What are your provisions? And the answer is the matzah mar, the, the matzah and the, and the bitter herbs. That's the conversation. So if you think about this amazing conversation, so now I want you to really think. Listen to these three amazing questions. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? And what are your provisions? And that is really a lifelong question. Where are you coming from? Right? Who are your parents? your home, your, your background, where are you coming from, right? Where are you going? What is your goal in life? What are you trying to accomplish, right? And some people could have a very good focus on that, where are you going? Perhaps if you ask someone like myself, right, the goal is I'm hoping to go to the world to come, right? Okay, so where are your provisions? What, what are you taking with you? How are you going to get there, right? So obviously... On a Passover conversation, I came from Egypt, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I have my matz and mar, what I left Egypt with. That's beautiful. But if we look at it as a, as a lifelong question, where are you coming from? Where are you going? What are you going to try to get out of life, right? And forget about what you're going to get out of life. What am I going to accomplish with my life? Where am I going? And then you want to go to heaven? Okay, so what do you have with you, right? Your money you're not taking, Right? Your house you're not taking, your nice car you're not taking. What are you taking with you? Your good deeds, your Torah study, your mitzvos, right? What are you taking with you into the next world to say to God, here I am, here's my suitcase. That suitcase reminds me, I tell my class all the time, 
you know, children and adults, by the way, are, are experts at giving excuses. How come you didn't do your homework? Forget the dog ate it, right? I go by my homework. I'm very busy. I love that one. That's my favorite one. Like you're talking to a third grader who gets home at 4, 4.30, goes to sleep at 8.30, so you have four hours for supper and playing, and there must have been a five-minute window where you could have done some homework. But okay, fine. But as adults, we're not much better, right? In other words, we have a lot of excuses. And by the way, some of those excuses are fantastic. We are busy people. I have to work. I have to get a kid. I have to drive carpools. I drive my kids you know, the equivalent of sometimes five blocks back and forth and this one and that one. You could get very busy. Got to go shopping and you need things and this broken. This has to be fixed and closed. It's a lot, a lot of stuff. So I could go up to heaven and God could say to me, okay, Jacobson, you, did you do any Torah study? Oh, I was very busy. Look, I have a note from my wife for this day and I have a note from my boss from this day and I have a, I have a whole suitcase full of notes that excuse me from uh, why I didn't accomplish X, Y, and Z. So God will say, that's a really, that's a good suitcase. That's a lot of good excuses. I said, great. So I'm ready for the world to come. So God will say, very nice, you are ready for the world to come, but but you didn't do any Torah study. You didn't, you didn't uh, do mitzvot. You didn't do good deeds. And I'll say, well, but I have good excuses. Like, what do you want for my life? Well, the answer, of course, is I want the good deeds, right? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? And what are your provisions? What do you have with you? you got to have something to take along. And a lot of excuse notes will not cut it. So I saw an interesting story. There was a, uh, I'll call him a Torah scholar, lived in Israel. Um, probably goes back 30 years ago. And he got sick. And he went to the doctors, and the doctors checked him out and tests and this and that. And they said, you know what? It's terminal. It's unfortunate. You're not going to live much longer. There's really nothing we could do. Did some research. Found out there's a surgery, very painful. Maybe you live an extra three months. That's it. So he decided, finished. So this is my life. I'm not going to live much longer. I'll deal with it. Of course, his wife was not too happy with that, and neither was this fellow's rabbi. So this fellow's rabbi came to him and said, come on, you, you can't just give up. He said, I'm not giving up. This is just uh, the cards I was dealt. I'm going to die. Everybody dies. No, you got to try. So why? They, even the surgery won't, won't help me live that long. Well, let's at least go to a great rabbi. There was a rabbi, Shach, or Shach that uh, passed away, I don't know, 10 years ago. So let's go to him. So this young fellow says, we could go, and I'll take a blessing. But more than that is really a waste of everybody's time. I don't want him to tell me about surgeries or this or that or hope. It's Forget about it. It's fine. Now, it's not like they walked into this great rabbi without prepping the rabbi the full story. So he goes to meet the rabbi, and the rabbi says to him, you know, uh, okay, you understand we all die, and you're looking forward to it uh, um, sooner rather than later, do you have your provisions? Do you have what to bring with you to the next world that you should deserve to move on? And the young scholar starts crying. No, I don't know what I have. I don't have so much. It's terrible. 
So this Rav Shach says, well, is there anything you could do to live a little, live a little bit longer? He says, you know, there's this crazy surgery, but at best I'll live for three months longer. So Rav Shach says, three months? Three months is a lifetime. Do you know what you could accomplish in three months? Maybe in those three months you could come up with the stuff you need to live a longer life, to, to come with provisions, right? For, no, so you only live three months. Only three months? So the, the, the young scholar listened, heard, did the surgery. Um, I don't know the end of the story. I don't think he miraculously recovered because it's not part of the story. But it does tell us the value of time, and it, and it also shares with us this idea that, that we're talking about today, that what, wh- where are you coming from? Where are you going? He knew where he was going. He knew where he wanted to go. And he also knew that he needed provisions for the way. Those provisions to get to the next world is our Torah study, our mitzvos, our good deeds, everything we do. So as a interesting, I just think a beautiful lesson of what can be taken away from a custom, which is not my custom. And maybe I'll bring it up so I can give this uh, speech, probably when we're eating, because uh, my Seder takes a long time. It's a fascinating thought, by the way. Um, my youngest son, he's like 10, fourth grade. So last year, of course, we know when we were getting ready for Passover, um, everybody remembers, I hope, hope you're, you can remember it, Everybody remembers that um, it was the beginning of Corona. No traveling. No family. Everybody was home by their lonesome. I know people did a what they call a Zoom Seder. I, I don't do a Zoom Seder because I don't use any electronics. So that was not happening. So my children, all, all the married children, stayed home. Even my son who had recently been married. So it was him and his wife. I'm sure they had a great time. But it was only my children at home that are not married. So the, my youngest loved it because there was no competition. He got to talk as much as he wanted and ask as much as he wanted, and he got all the attention he could imagine because, yeah, there's, there were three boys home, four boys home, sorry, and two girls, which for some of you might be a lot. But when I usually have another 10, 15 people there, all of a sudden it's a... It's a quieter room. There's a lot of time for everybody. So he told his mother, he said, uh, he says, you know, I, I don't know if I'm so happy with everybody coming this year because maybe I won't have time to say all the stuff I want to say, which is an interesting right, thought from a child, right? He recognizes and he can verbalize that he wants to participate in a major way. And when there's a lot of other younger children, it's, it's hard to get a word in edgewise. So it's my job to make sure, of course, that he gets to talk. But it's, it's something, something for us to think about. The children very much want to be involved. We can't always um, give them all the time they want. So such a conversation, I don't have time to start giving long-winded uh, dissertations or even short ones uh, by my Seder because then the kids are going to lose out. I mean, the point of the Seder, which we've talked about in the past, you should listen to some of the old shows, I repeat over and over, we were slaves in Egypt, and God in his kindness took us out, so I'm going to get that point across over and over and over again. 
But to, to have conversations that are in a, you know, for adults, I'll wait to the meal. Right? The meal will be, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the morning, 1.30 in the morning. Um, right? Don't, uh, it's okay. We start 9.30-ish, and we roll till 3-ish, 3.30-ish, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I was talking to somebody last night on the phone, and uh, because whatever family situation, he's going to be by an Orthodox Seder, and he's, he's looking forward. Because he knows that all these things that I talk about, he's missed out on probably for a good 35, 40 years. He's the kind of guy who talks about his grandfather's Seder. Okay. So um, the story goes, Rabbi, not a story, I'm sorry, Rabbi Elimel Biederman, who I mention once in a while, I, I, I get his, uh, his little clips they send on LinkedIn and whatever, YouTube. So he asked the following question. He said, if I showed you a blank piece of paper... You know, I, I'd ask you what you see. You see a blank piece of paper. But if I put one dot on that blank piece of paper and I ask you, what do you see? Um, everybody says, oh, I see a dot, which is interesting. You don't see a dot. You see a white piece of paper that has a little dot on it. It's almost like I'm focusing on the little part of the paper that's off. I know all paper is white, but I'm focusing on the dot. And that's what we do. We, a lot of times, we focus on the negative with all the good that Hashem does for us. So much good. And we're busy focusing on little nitty gritty. So that's only be God, right? Could be spouses and uh, friends for the same thing. We're very good at focusing on the dot. Um, I saw another story recently. There was a boy. He's crying by a bus stop. Doesn't have any money. Somebody comes by and says, Oi, child, what's the matter? And he says, I have no money. I need to get on the bus. So the man says, Don't worry. I'll pay for you. He puts the boy on the bus. He puts the, the money in the um, whatever the, the bus driver has his money put into. It was an old story. And, uh, and they're off. And the bus driver's driving. He looks into his mirror and he sees the boy is crying still. So he says, child, why are you crying? He says, not fear. Everybody who comes on the bus, you give them money. You give them change. And me, you gave nothing. Right? Like, the boy missed it. Somebody took care of him, did him a favor, plopped him on the bus for free. And all he sees is everybody's getting something but he. He doesn't realize he got everything. Right? They're just getting a little change. So it's... Uh, it's something to think about. With my few minutes left, you know, we can't go long without any any Passover music. So hopefully in the back they can find my music. And ah, oh, here we go. Gotta love Passover music. It's got like my favorite songs. Right? Chad Gadja. But we're gonna talk Dayenu. Or I could just listen to the music because I happen to like it. You know? Reminds what happened at the end of the Seder, which as my friend commented. Um, last night to me, he said, by his Seder, um, and he's not religious, by his Seder, he said, after the meal, they pack up the chairs. He said he's looking forward this year to ending the Seder with Chad Gadya with a song, like some people don't know. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. So I figured um, to touch on one point of the Seder with our few minutes left, I wanted to roll through Dayenu. I had a Dayenu song, I just can't find it. But Chad Gadi is one of my favorites, so it works just as good. Dayenu means it would have been enough. 
Meaning, there is, it's 15, there's 15 things that we're going to mention. And truly, if some of these things were not here, then the Jewish people would not exist. The point of the Dayenu, right? Day, Dayenu, just in case you don't know the song. Day, Dayenu, Day, Dayenu. Okay, good. Hopefully you know it. If not, listen to my uh, Mark Seder. I think I sing it there because I, I like it. I think I do. I don't remember. Um... Maybe David remembers. I have no idea. But in any case, um, it's 15 things of what God did when he took us out. And we want to point out that we recognize, we have gratitude, we thank God for each one of these things, even though technically. Um, some would say if we don't have all of them, we have nothing. I don't know if you have to say it that way. Uh, but certainly, if we don't have a bunch of them, we have nothing. But that's not the point. The point is not for me to say that I need everything. It's either all or nothing. That is not my attitude. My attitude is each specific point I have to thank God for. No all or nothing. There's no such thing. It's not that somebody tried to help you, but he, he wasn't able to finish the job, so he's worthless. It's not that way. It's every single part I get, I appreciate. So it starts like this. Right? If God would have taken us out of Egypt and he wouldn't have judged the Egyptians, it would have been enough. Now, it is true that God had promised Abraham that whoever enslaves us will be judged. So maybe a person could think like, hey, that's not the deal. That's not what God promised. Right? All or nothing. No. First, I have to appreciate God took me out. I would like for him to judge those Egyptians, but... Uh, I have to thank God even if he doesn't. Okay, next one. If God would have done judgments, but he wouldn't have judged their idols, also would have been enough. Again, this one's a little bit harder. Like, and in what way do I benefit? But maybe part of it is I had to get that idol. Part of being in Egypt was we had to get that idol worship out of our system. If we can't get it out of our system, it's going to be hard to serve God. So if my goal in getting... Oh, you found it! Yay! Here's my Diana. I knew they would find it. Hey, that's just what we said. Very good. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Anyways, in any case, if God would have done it to the gods and he wouldn't have killed the firstborn, which, again, all the plagues were aiming towards the plague of the firstborn, to kill the firstborn, where God's firstborn, you, 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 you're not taking care of us, you promised you'd take care of us, we, 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 could, we could survive without it. And even if we couldn't survive without it, but you, we still have to show appreciation. Let's keep going, because I don't got much time left. Let's say you would have killed the firstborn, and you wouldn't have let us leave Egypt with a lot of money. Now, again, God had promised Abraham. We're going to leave Egypt with a lot of wealth. God, you're not keeping your part of the deal. Come on, it's not fair. doesn't matter. I have to appreciate what I have. I have to recognize each point is something special. And I have to thank God for all of it. Let's, uh, let's, keep, it, let's keep it rolling over here. Let's say God would have given us their money. But he wouldn't have split the Red Sea. Now, this was not a good situation because if we wouldn't have had the, the splitting of the Red Sea, right, the Egyptian army was backing us up into the water. So I don't know what would have happened, right? But that's not the point. The point is each step along the way, as I keep telling you, it's not all or nothing, right? Let's say God would have split the Red Sea, but it wouldn't have been such a 
geschmack. Wouldn't have been such a great trip through. Wouldn't have been like dry land on the way through. Wouldn't have been a full-fledged miracle. So maybe I wouldn't have been so satisfied. No, I'm satisfied on each part. The fact you split the Red Sea and you let me through on dry land. Okay, let's keep going. Um, let's say you wouldn't have taken care of us in the Red Sea. When we were there, we had water and food and anything we needed. If we wouldn't have had it, right, we'd be okay. But we had it. So now even the stuff. Oh, man, the music is playing. You're just going to have to look up Dieno on your own. You're going to have to use your own intelligence and figure out how we thank God for every single thing he did for us. But the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to my other production team. Lots of people. David, Kelsey, Alan, Jalen. I think it's Alan. I hope I left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build.